to Pod on the Suit, your Steve and Tony fandom podcast. I'm Ferret. And I'm Flame. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Flame. Hi, Ferret. Hi, fandom. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Guys, it is the final episode of season one. We can't believe it. We are so proud and so grateful and so overwhelmed and all of those other words to have come this far. And we are so excited to share with you what we have upcoming in season two. Our final topic of season one is the nature of romance. Yum. Please make sure you adore our lovely cover art by Naku. I'm going to kick things off today with an interview with Mrs. Moody Bear, our resident librarian. And then Farrah and I have two conversations, one on romance as a genre and the other on realism versus idealism in smut. We have a lot to talk about before the season ends, so let's get started. Hey, Podcast Landia, I am here today with our very own Mrs. Moody Bear, Corsets and Cardigans, the woman who has more names than I have fix, I think, at this point. Um, <laughs> And we are delighted, but most importantly, our resident librarian and uh, a delightful mod at Pot on the Suit, uh, co-mod uh, Moody. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, we're going to jump right on in and uh, give it to us. What's the fandom origin story? So I've been thinking about this and listening last week to Ferret's mom's interview of of participation and observer and, and those sorts of things. I've been trying to think if fandom in the way that we talk about it on Discord, on AO3, on Tumblr is very, you know, internet-based. And it's like, do I start there with my first fandom that I was on the internet for and I like participated in, or do we go, you know, even further back? Cause I feel like I've been a fan of things my whole life and I jump in feet first and I remember being a kid of just like, got to get all the toys, all of the movies, all of the merch, you know, being a teen of got to get all the CDs of the Backstreet Boys, got to get every poster and every magazine. Um, but there was no internet for me at that time, being the uh, early 90s, because um, we didn't get our first computer till I was in high school um, at our house. So it's like, where do I, where do I draw that line of what is fandom? to me because I feel like my whole life has been you know whatever I'm kind of obsessed with at that moment and grew up making stories up and wanting to put myself into the stories I was reading the books I was reading the stuff I was watching um you know stuff like that but the first fandom I think I you know was on the internet for of the way we think of fandom writing fanfic reading fanfic was Lord of the Rings um in high school we'd gotten a computer and I had met Mr. Bear in high school. And I remember talking with him and he's like, oh, there's this place, they have fan fiction, it's called fanfiction.net. I was like, oh, what is this? <laughs> um, Tell me more. <laughs> right? Um, and then I was like, there's fan communities. And I don't remember the site off the top of my head, but it was definitely like a forum style site for, for Lord of the Rings and people could share head cannons and share fan art and you know, it was almost like Discord where it's like, but it was more, you know, if you remember the old forums and chat rooms where you could, um, you know, post and then someone else would respond and it'd be like threaded comments. Um, 
I got a live journal at that point, some point in high school. Um, lots of, spent a lot of time in the fan communities on live journal, following people and um, did write fix and post fix. I hope they're buried <laughs> now. Um, and through high school and college, got into anime fandoms and um, I graduated college. Um, and we still had a computer, but internet was always very spotty. So I'd like go to the library and download new episodes of anime or new chapters of manga or new fanfics to read at home. Um, and then um, my dad died. And I remember kind of not liking anything anymore. Um, it feels kind of weird to say that. I just, I'm sure I spent my time doing something those couple of years um, that I don't actually remember. Um, and then my friend was like, it's this 2012 and they're like Avengers is coming out. We all got to go see it. And I'm like, whatever. <laughs> um, and he's like, no, no, you got to see it. You got to see all the movies ahead of it. Um, so I was like, fine, you want to play those movies? I'll watch them. No biggie. Uh, and we watched Captain America, the first Avenger first. I was like, that's fine. That's cool. That's interesting. Um, and then he put on Iron Man. I was like, it's like we in the Wizard of Oz and it goes from black and white into color. Yes. That's yes. kind of what it was like watching uh, Robert Downey Jr. in Iron Man. It's like, oh, I like this. So <laughs> I was able to get I was able to get Iron Man 2 and I think Thor on Netflix at the time. Watch them back to back right away. Loved Loki. Loki was for a long time my like main person, him and Tony. I was a big frost iron shipper. Um, and 2012, I, I think it was like February of 2012 or March, I had gotten my Tumblr, or not my Tumblr, my, um, yeah, no, my Tumblr, and then, you know, Avengers had come, and I wasn't into it yet, I didn't really see it on my dash, and then once I saw the movie, I was like, oh my god, I have to, like, get into this, so yeah, it was big, that kind of early 2012 Tumblr Avengers experience. Uh, I think I got my AO3. If I checked my stats the other day, it was December of 2012. Uh, and the rest is kind of history. You know, I've been dipping in and out. Um, there was a period of my life where I was seeing the movies opening night, midnight, and then, you know, faded away and I'd see them in the theaters if I could. If not, get the DVDs. Um, but Endgame definitely really brought me back um, full force. I think like a lot of people did. Um, this kind of closing of this chapter and um, Tumblr had kind of killed Phantom with you know the porn ban and stuff like that but I saw people starting to come back and people talking and um, I think I ended up following a couple people ended up following you and you kind of introduced me to the discord side of fandom because you were starting this podcast which I don't know you know if we knew what was going to happen at that time last year with we COVID definitely did not Oh, we definitely did not. No. No. Yeah, it really, it really saved um, a lot of, you know, this past year of not being able to go hang out with my friends, which is something that we, you know, Mr. Bear and I do, you know, we would do several times a week. We'd go over to people's houses and play video games or watch YouTube or play board games. Um, so finding Discord kind of at, you know, at the beginning of all that um, really kind of changed my fandom experience the past year which is great. It's been very fun to uh, get to know you throughout this year, but also at the beginning when you were like, I'm not a writer, I'm not a writer, I'm not a writer. And then you write <laughs> and, and all of us are like, oh my God, please write more. 
um, which is, <laughs> I still don't is, really think of myself as a writer, which is weird. I know I, I should, but in my mind, it's like, oh, that's not me. I just, you know, piddle around with this. I'm not like these other writers that are writers. Um, but yeah, I mean, I used to write and um, yeah, it's like when, when I lost my dad, I just didn't want to do anything. And when I found the Avengers fandom, I don't think writing ever came to my mind as something I could do or wanted to do. Um, I remember leaving prompts for people in um, the, the live journal was still alive a little bit. And in 2012, like there was a Avengers kink meme. Um, and that's how I found AO3 was people instead of linking their things on live journal anymore, because people were getting banned and you know, the strike through, people were leaving their links to AO3. And I was like, what is this? Um, but yeah, I remembered like, you know, leaving prompts for people there. And then, but the idea of writing, you know, never occurred to me <laughs> until I got to Discord and you guys were like, oh, we have a bingo card for the server and there's this. And I was like, oh, I could do the thing. Um, <laughs> so. I think that's the way it is for a lot of people that they enter in different ways. I mean, I came in as a writer, but I never would have ever thought I could do this or I could have done pod ficking. I definitely didn't think that I could have ever made a mood board or have written dark fic. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I think one of the greatest jokes is that we all say we all hated ABO before we came in and now we all write it. Um, <laughs> But I think that I think that that's a really cool way of fandom. And when I think when I think of fandom, one of the things I do think about is obviously community. Obs, we talk about that all the time. But as, as um, I've been talking a lot about Bridgerton in my offline life, um, and for people who have not listened to previous pod episodes or have not met me in Discord, which. <laughs> you're welcome I guess like I'm a, I'm chaos and um, but I love romance novels and one of the reasons that I've asked Moody to be with me here in this particular episode in which we're talking about love and the natures of love versus romance versus porn versus kind of everything um is to talk about kind of some of the the ways in which fic and romance are parallel genres I guess in a way um totally and, and the, some of the tropes that, that we all kind of enjoy and things like that. But one of, the, one of the true things for me about fandom is that it is about love in a lot of ways. It's not just about love of the characters we're celebrating if you're a shipper, but it's about love of the thing. Um, mm -hmm. And celebrating that love in a whole lot of ways. And I think we form a lot of relationships with each other that become um, very, very much various definitions of love very famously the Greeks had four different words for love because the one word didn't encompass it and yeah. one of those is is agape it's the kind of communal familial love that I think a lot of us experience in fandom um or that we would call found family the way that Joss Wheaton baited us into waiting <laughs> for found family um so all that to say talk Talk to me a little bit about when I say, well, romance and fic are kind of the same thing. Talk to me about what um, sparked in your brain when I said that to you. Um, well, I agree. And I am a reader and have always been a romance reader. Uh, we've discussed this uh, on servers and things like that. Um, but for me, 
they almost kind of grew up in the same time for me because you know this in high school I got my first computer all this stuff um but also I had friends introducing me to romance novels kind of at the same time um we had like a little club we would share them because these girls were a little bit older um or had family members they could take the books from or they could buy them on their own I could not um I grew up in a very religious household um not like super super religious but um definitely my mom never read anything like that there was no bookshelf for me to go raid of that my sisters did not have those books um they're you know eight um and four years older than me did not have those books that I could just sneak into their rooms and and take them so I had to kind of find it myself of when I was kind of allowed to have a little independence and go to the library myself and check out what I wanted myself on my own card or get from my friends um kind of the same same time of like learning about it's like oh there's fic and and all this stuff um and I definitely see them kind of intertwined because I was looking and thinking about tropes and what we have at the library and how things have changed so much um that now I think a lot of romance novels resemble fic and several of the people in servers have said that of like I read you know red white and royal blue or boyfriend material and it feels like a fic this is Steve and Tony and this is a fix that someone changed the names on um, and published it um, because they're kind of colliding in this way. Um, friends to lovers or enemies to lovers or um, fake dating, um, things like that that we enjoy so much in fic are common themes in romance novels. Very much so. I mean, and I'll, I, We've, I've said in this episode, I've said it before, but the, the general definition of a romance novel is that it, the thrust of the story is about a couple or a, or a relationship of two, of more, uh, two or more people. The story is centric on that relationship and it ends with a happily ever after or happy for now. And so in AO3 terms, it's a ship story that has a resolved ending. A happy ending is as a happy to, ending. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's it. That's the boundary of a romance novel. So yeah. the, there's a lot of really great books out there that we now classify as women's fit, women's lit. Um, and I have feelings on that. I'm sure you do too, but we're there yep. a lot more about like the woman's internal journey. She may end up married. She may end up with friends. It may be about three sisters in one book. That's not romance. It can't be because it's about more than one central central relationship yes and because fan fiction is generally about a central relationship whether that's team as family or steve and tony or bucky and loki it's <laughs> it's a it's a central relationship and the fic tends to focus on on that and so i think that's one of the reasons that that it's easy for people to for people to see the parallels in them. Yeah, and then the tropes are very, very similar. Like, oh, I yeah. Think, mm -hmm. I, like, I think I could read, I mean, I love fake dating in fic and I love it in, in published novels. It is my oh, like, yeah. God tier trope. Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, and I've been, you know, thinking I was this past week, you know, um, since you kind of broached the subject to me and as I was shelving and checking people out, um, you know, what are people reading, what is being written, what is being published, and so much is changing, and 
I think a lot of people, when they hear romance novels, they think um, white couple, they think um, they heterosexual think Fabio couple. The the Fabio on the cover and then her dress, um, which is never historically accurate. Um, Ever, but know, it's like art her navel. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, and it's, like, it's always dramatic and there's all, they're always in a field somehow. Wind. Like. Uh, he's wearing a kilt. Um, <laughs> And I, you know, I was like looking at the, some of the covers, definitely we still have those. Um, and almost covers kind of act as like, not a tagging system, but definitely a clue to what the book is going to be about. You can definitely tell it's like, this is a historical romance. This is a contemporary, you know, this is, um, but you're seeing so many more um, covers where it's just like, you know, here is a uh, lesbian romance and here is a male romance, a gay romance. Here is a um, interracial couple here is um, a completely non-white couple on the cover and it's just like wow this has kind of changed before our eyes without any notice but everyone when you think romance novel you think harlequin you think exactly like the stereotypical harlequin romance novel a lot of people will say that you know when we start talking about it on the servers so like oh harlequin um it's like and that's totally fine for everybody who loves that and that is their jam um, but so many new things have popped up and it's just like, wow, I feel like sometimes it is so indistinguishable, you, you know, reading a published book. It's like, this could be fic, this only except, you know, his name is, you know, Luke and Oliver instead of you know, Steve and Tony, um, because we all just, we love it so much. And um, I think a lot of published writers are fic writers, and you've told me that as well. They're people who have secret AO3 names that they won't tell anybody. Um, yeah that right for yeah. I think Stucky I think you said yes yeah and I know Sher the Sherlock's got a couple as well um yes. and the house fandom I know has at least two that I personally know of um I don't know any Steve and Tony ones regardless of what Jay says I am not Alexis Hall and I did not write boyfriend material <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> no uh, I don't know any Stonies but I will endeavor yeah. to find them in the rest of my life but um, just to give people an idea of what the bestsellers in romance published, uh, traditionally published are right now, um, just pulled up Amazon. Now there's a lot of Bridgerton on there at the moment. Yeah, um, and which is all, you know, republishing, yeah. All republishing, which is fine with me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm gratified to know that my two favorites are in the top 10, which is the fourth book, Romancing Mr. Bridgerton, and the second book, The Viscount Who Loved Me, they are my two favorites. Um, but I'm also seeing, you know, some, some stuff, some plot lines that would be very reminiscent in fic. I've got a mafia AU, essentially. I've got a, uh, I've got a MMA fighter AU. I've got a professional footballer. So we've got a sports one. Um, I've got a billionaire and a secretary. Um, that you yeah, see a lot of those at the library. <laughs> yeah, um, I've got shifters. I've got something called Alpha something. So the themes are very similar. Yes, uh, we actually have a sudden influx uh, recently, and I I don't know if it is a patron requesting it, but I keep seeing these um, Alpha and then the heroes' names is like Alpha Caden or Alpha you know whatever um, books coming through, and I was like, oh my god, like ABO is coming to the library. <laughs> when did this happen um it's kindle unlimited has unleashed a new world so i joke all the time and i don't know if you agree with me or not but i think kindle unlimited is the ao3 of the publishing world oh probably <laughs> probably yeah because and we is, never I mean, used to 
I just feel like anything goes on Kindle Unlimited, like, because it doesn't cost Amazon like a whole heck of a lot to publish something in their own internal publishing. And so it's one of the reasons it's not nearly as free as fan fiction. People still have to pay money. You still have to format stuff. Like it's still business. It's still commerce. Don't get me wrong. But the barrier to entry of of self-publishing something on Kindle that then gets distributed through Kindle Unlimited versus publishing it with Random House and having, you know, Avon imprint and all of that are vastly different worlds. And so if you want to write 500, you know, if you, I mean, I think the minimum on Kindle Unlimited is 30,000 words. I think that's the minimum. Um, so if you want to write 30,000 words of a, of a werewolf pack story, have fun. It costs Amazon yeah. almost nothing. Uh, you won't make any money, but have fun. Uh, and that's a little yeah. bit of what AO3 is. It's just, it's, yeah. it's the wild, wild west in some really beautiful ways. It really is. And something must have changed recently at work and I've been meaning to ask, but um, we never used to be able to get things that were independently published at our branch. It was only what, um, you know, our provider that we buy our books from, what they offered. And something must have changed because I keep seeing these newer ones. And, and it's kind of obvious to me, um, the quality of the book, the cover, the quality of the photoshopping on the cover <laughs> um, definitely stands out. Uh, you know, the books definitely feel like cheaply published, um, whereas opposed to, you know, trade paperbacks have a size and a look and a feel to them or um, hardbacks or whatever. Um, so like I'm, when I'm showing books, I'm like, what is this? And I found one. I actually sent a picture of it to the other day that you know, had the final line. And then right after it was, please rate and review us on Amazon.com. Um, Yep. So, yeah, and it, you know, it's like one of the barriers, I think, to romance novels is, one, there are no tags, um, yep. but also the cost, you know, to go buy a book, either buy an ebook, a physical copy, um, and honestly, it's like, go to your library and see if they'll buy it for you or buy an ebook version of it for you. Um, that's what I've been doing. That's how I've been able to read the ones that I've been reading that you've been recommending, um, cause it's like, well, we don't have it. So I'm going to ask us to buy it. Um, and that's what your library should be doing. Um, because you know, your taxes have paid for it and that's their funds and you get to decide how it's spent. Um, so definitely, you know, I'm seeing more and more come up and then things I haven't ordered, but I want, it's like, Ooh, somebody is listening, whoever it is that we, I think we have an algorithm that does some of our ordering. Um, but it's just like, oh, I didn't have to ask for the new, you know, Casey McQuidson book. It's already been ordered because um, I asked the, you know, them to order Red, White, and Royal Blue for me. So, And that'll be a really interesting thing because it's female-female, which is not nearly as popular in either in fandom or in traditionally published romance. No. Nope. So I'm excited. That's shifting a little within traditionally published. I don't think it's shifting mm-hmm. fast enough within fandom. Now, I say that. I am not active in any fandoms that that actually feature or celebrate women in the canon. Really- uh, so that could be different in some other places, but like even in Game of Thrones, I didn't find a whole lot of female, female when I was active in reading that fandom, never for producing it, but in reading that fandom. Um, I still think it's very male, male or het centric, depending on what fandom you're in. Uh, yeah, I could be, I could be wrong. 
Um, but yeah, I've definitely seen some writing challenges and, and we've shared some um, with uh, everybody on the servers and stuff like that of um, looking for, you know, we want authors that are telling things from their perspective, um, non-binary authors, lesbian authors, gay authors. Um, and even, even to the point of like maybe ace or a romantic authors and telling their stories. And, and like how you said, love, there's all these different versions of love and things like that. Um, so that's definitely starting to change because it's like, well, if these challenges are out here, there must be books that must fit this challenge. I just have to find them. Um, and that's been a really great exercise for me um, while I'm at work. I can sit here and look through our catalog, our ebook catalog. Um, I can look through the catalogs of the surrounding counties and see, okay, what are we offering? What can I ask to purchase? There's purchasing limits um, per person. Um, what can I request? And, you know, what books fit these briefs? Um, and it's like ordering them so that it's not just me. I'm hoping someone will find it on the shelf and then have a great experience um, reading something from a new perspective that isn't um, het centric, that isn't white centric, that isn't, um, you know, what you think of as traditional romance. So. Yeah. And for some people, stories that feature consent is uh, different for them in their romance stuff. And Saber and I have talked about mm -hmm. this in the server, actually, she prefers the kind of like 1980s Judith McNaught dramatic <laughs> yes. specials, which like, honestly, I get it that like flowers, Flowers in the Storm by Laura What's-Her-Face is one of my favorite books and it is terrible. <laughs> um, but it's not terrible, but it's of a time. Um, yes. yes. But there is, there is so much, there is so much more of a focus on consent and mm -hmm. pleasure and yes. grounded, like grounded in reality kind of stories. Um, I mean, all mm -hmm. romance is still high fantasy all all romance is high fantasy but yeah it feels different uh, especially with um like store books like the kiss the kiss quotient did you get a chance to read that one ever not yet um it's definitely on my list my my poor to be read list <laughs> just gets longer oh no trust longer. me i'm looking at my bookshelves right now and i think if the the physical manifestation of my to be read list like it would literally kill me like if my bookshelf yeah. fell on me i would be a dead flame <laughs> Um, I, um, it's, it's a, it's a non, uh, a neurodivergent heroine written oh, by awesome. an Asian um, woman and the, the character is Asian and it's a, a, like she hires a, an escort essentially to teach her how to have sex. Um, cause she can't awesome. figure out like what the big deal is <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> which is amazing. And that came out it a couple is. years ago and like, and was absolutely, it's a huge hit. And she's gotten a couple, a pretty big book deal with Berkeley um, on the success of that book. So, but I mean, when I started reading romance, I was, the, I was the person that stole it from my grandmother's bookshelf. Um, and my, and I was also in a religious household, but my mother has squared that circle in a very specific way for her entire life. Um, <laughs> but like my mother and I did a road trip to Nora Roberts's bed and breakfast um, a Ooh, couple years fun. back for her birthday so like we read these together which is which is quite nice we watch Bridgerton together which is a moment Awkward. watching some of those things with your mother um yeah at one point, I would no. not um but <laughs> just looked at I was me not allowed goes, to see that scene in true lies mom held a blanket in front of the tv so I could not oh. see like that was the house I grew up in 
um, scenes like that, anything like that. Um, but I remember distinctly seeing like rated R movies as a kid because I remember seeing like Jurassic Park in theaters in the 90s. Interesting. Um, so I was like, dinosaurs eating people was fine, but whatever Jamie Lee Curtis was doing on screen, and I still don't know to this day because I've never sought it out, but it's just like, I could not see that. Um, <laughs> that was verboten. <laughs> exactly oh man Amer- <laughs> americans and sex we have such a terrible relationship with it um, um yeah so it's it's been interesting like th- those stories that i'm reading now we would not have read when i was starting to read either 25 ish no, years ago no. um and, and you I- know consent was one of those things that i one of the reasons i kind of drifted away from romance for for years um was because it's like oh it's like you know this just seems so not something I would enjoy of him just you know here we go and we're gonna just shove it in and and that's kind of how it was written and um everything was just kind of glossed over of like talking about things and setting boundaries and asking can I do this can I do that um and then coming back to it all these years later it's like oh people talking about things and men performing you know, oral sex on a woman or asking, can I touch you? Can I kiss you? Um, was like a revelation of like, oh, these things are here. <laughs> the things I've always wanted to see in my romance. Because um, it is fi- fantasy, but for me, it's also, you know, you want certain boundaries to be there. Um, and it's totally fine if you love the bodice rippers and, you know, no shaming. Um, everybody's got their own thing. Um, but I think it was just a really great thing that as everything changes and as we move forward um, are reflected in our our fiction and our fantasy. And I think there's been some parallels to that with fandom. Like when I first, my first internet fandom was Dawson's Creek and there was no slash at all in that fandom that was popular. Um, Pacey and Dawson was not a ship that got a lot of traction when the show was on. It wouldn't surprise me if it does now. But it didn't when the show was on. And I wouldn't have even dreamed of pairing any anybody but Joey and Pacey with each other. And as fandom has evolved and as the, and I think some of this is just the influence of the global fandom marketplace too and the different properties we were introduced to and things like that. We as the, the love stories that that western canon at least has opened itself to has been greatly influenced by fandom and Mm -hmm. the number of people in in their teens 20s and 30s that largely now experience fictional love stories through fandom and through fic is a very different dynamic than 30 years ago when the primary way that people experienced it was through traditionally published bodice rippers and yep. the way that we talk about love stories now and the way that we celebrate love stories now. I mean, like I sat on my couch this past Christmas and on the Hallmark Network, there were boys kissing. Like what boys is this kissing? world? Um, yeah. It was wonderful. It was. Um, and now I should say too, for people who are listening to me and they're like, yeah, but wasn't romance full of like sheiks and stuff like that? It was. <laughs> like, ro- the romance industry had just as many problems and continues to problems with with racism as everything else does so don't hear me oh. that it is a perfect industry um yeah in the same uh, way know, that there's fandom always... is not perfect yeah um, um you know uh, there's always going to be you know because um you know publishing houses publish 
authors that, you know, they make money and people read these and yeah, you're still going to find one where there is no consent and, you know, or he's kind of a jerk and you're like, why am I rooting for this guy? And she's in love with this guy, you know? Um, yeah, that still exists or things that are, yeah, not perfect. Um, but if you look and you ask around and, and definitely talk to people, you'll find ones that, um, that I think people will really enjoy uh, because it is so much like fic where even where it's like kinky and when you think of say kinky romance novels of course the first thing that comes to mind is like 50 shades of gray um that's probably just because they made the biggest splash but you know you're seeing books now where you know there's actual negotiations that's not just like here's what i like sign the paper um people have a voice and use it and can explore these fantasies and boundaries um whereas before you know that you never really found that um but there's also things where it's like closed door and it's just like this is more about the romance than about everything else and you don't get to see um that part of it yeah and the uh plot what plot equivalent in traditionally published books is erotica yep. and that's a separate that's actually mm-hmm. a separate category um yep. and let me say too if you are somebody who's into non-con and like that's one of your kinks there are romance novels there's a there's a couple authors off the top of my head right now that i could think of that you should explore because that's yeah. there too. It's there. Um, mm-hmm. And in the very, mo- the mo- motorcycle clubs were a huge thing for a long time. They're waning a little bit right now. But if you love a good mafia AU, honestly, guys, the mm-hmm. world's your oyster. Uh, so do a lot yep. of traditionally published authors. So yeah, just like, and, and I'll say, you know, Moody and I both love helping people find the AO3 tags for books in a way. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, totally. One of our my hobbies, library so- pays for a. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> my you library go. actually pays for a service. Um, it's called uh, Novelist, and um, most libraries do cover it. You just have to f- find it on their website. It's usually listed under like databases or something like that. You'll probably have to give your library card number. Um, but it lets you search by attribute and trope and things like that. So you can sit there and say, I want something that is atmospheric and, you know has witty banter and um, has friends to lovers and it will like collate everything that's in its database and pop out results to you and then my ours at least tells you if we have it in our system and then takes you to our catalog so you could put it on hold for yourself um Ooh, that's handy or it tells you it it is handy it is not a perfect system because it's a database that is run by this group of people i believe they're all librarians i was just helping a patron the other day her author because I ordered 12 books for her um, and she had returned five already. So this is a pretty heavily published author, was not in the system. So I couldn't show her because um, she wanted more like that author while she was waiting for her new books to come in. Um, but it gives you read-alikes. Um, so you can put in Stephen King and it'll give you a list of authors that read similarly um, or put in Salem's Lot and here's books that are similar in theme. Um, and then you can search at the bottom by theme and click the attributes they have assigned to say Salem's Lot and then do a new search. Um, so it's really great. And there's ways to find um, books that say you you read, you know, boyfriend material, you want things that are similar. Um, you can find that entry in Novelist and it will give you read-alikes, author read-alikes, attributes um, and stuff like that. Amazing. And I'll say too, I'm very active. I'm not a librarian, um, although I am in my heart, but I do not have the training that Moody has. Um, And I'm very active in the review side of 
publishing. So um, I have been reading and, and talking about books for a long time. And I'll say, if you're looking for other places, book, there's so many bookstagrams. If you are on Instagram and you want to read more books, there is there are people out there who read books that you read too and they review them and you can just scroll through. There are review mm-hmm. sites, not just Goodreads. Um, one of the biggest in, a, a couple of the biggest in romance are Smart Bitches Trashy Books, which is one of my personal favorites. And then one called All About Romance. And All About Romance also you can search entirely by tags and they've been around for like 25 years. So you can search by tag, you can search by theme. They have like special category lists. Like, oh, would you like a plus size heroine? Here's all the ones that we found. Um, and they publish two reviews a day. Uh, so there's quite, wow. quite a lot out there. Uh, so those are great, but then there's there's other sites for other, if you love true crime, trust me, I mean, have fun. If you love suspense, mm-hmm. there is so many. Um, so what I will kind of, uh, kind of say in summary, as it were, is that however humans express and experience love, art should reflect that. And I am encouraged that both in fic and in traditionally published, we are creeping towards that closer. Exactly. Is there anything that you, Madam Librarian, would like to uh, say that uh, we have not covered so far? Um, You know, just that I feel and I see it a lot at the library. Um, Sometimes people are scared to ask. They're scared to come up and say, hey, you know, and I, I did have a patron. She was kind of afraid to ask about this book and it did have alpha in the title. Um, you know, we didn't have it at the time. And I said, you know, here's some, here's how to use novelists. Here's how we can find some things. Let's get this on order. I, you know, it's like, I don't want people to ever feel that they can't go to a librarian and ask for something. We are not there to judge you. Um, we want people to find what they love and celebrate their joy and please ask us to find stuff and ask us to buy you things. Um, but if you ever feel that way, see if your library has a digital form or a chat form where you can ask for books um, or ask for help. Um, my branch does. Um, you can actually order books um, without talking to a person. Um, we'll do it either interlibrary alone or order it if we can. Um, but you yeah, just feel that, you know, no matter what you're looking for, if you are looking for non-con or you're looking for a billionaire, you're looking for something that you are scared to talk to a, another human about, um, see if they can do it digitally because we, you shouldn't be afraid of us, but you know, people are because you're worried that you're going to get um, shamed or, or shushed at the library. Um, and things are changing. There's more of us that work there that um, share your exact same interests and you know, once you're done with the book, we'd love to have a read at it. Um, so please just ask. And, and if you're afraid, try to do it um, in the way that you feel safest. Um, but guarantee you we'll do everything we can to either get it for you in some way or another or put it on a list somewhere. Because um, we do that a lot of times too, especially before we couldn't get, you know, uh, independently published books. We had like a list going um, of like, you know, see if we can interlibrary loan these because other branches were, you know, other you know, systems were getting Amazon published books at the time, like the next county over. So um, just ask, feel free to ask. Uh, we're not there to, to be a mean librarian and, and yell at you <laughs> or say you shouldn't be reading this uh, 
non-con smut erotica. It's like, we probably have also read it. And we may have reviewed it. So, and exactly. for any of our, in, for any of our international listeners um, who do not have access, the, the, you, perhaps your library system works differently than the American one. Um, mm-hmm. But I can almost guarantee that librarians don't work differently. Um, I've had library cards in three different countries now and librarians are delightful everywhere I, I live. And if you are somewhere without access to a library and you w- still want to talk books, uh, you can definitely find both of us at any point in time. And we would mm-hmm. love to help you point point you to resources. Uh, Moody is always a librarian, like in her being. I can say as somebody who has <laughs> benefited from this. Um, and I just love talking books as much as I love talking yeah. kissy kissy boys. So kissy, please kissy boys. don't have. And that's a great thing. We find kissy kissy boys in traditionally published books now. So we do. We oh, so many I'll good ones. As much as I, I personally hate Amazon. Um, Amazon is you know, pretty available around the world. You can find these books on um, Kindle Unlimited or Kindle eBooks or um, audiobooks or something like that. Um, so yeah, you, there's, there's options that you have. Say if you're not here in America and you can't, uh, you can't just go to the library and ask them for it. Um, Amazon's there. And then um, I know Bookshop is American. I'm not sure if Bookshop has outlets in other countries but that's it connects you with an independent bookstore that will that you can buy the book from um, and they'll mail it to you um, which is great if you don't want to support Amazon you still want to support um, independent bookstores and these authors that the more you support them the more you buy their books the more you request them from the library the more they get published because they see that there is a market Um, you wouldn't think that asking the library to buy a book will will matter but it does because you know, as we order them, um, they, they all look at those stats um, of, you know, it's like, well, there's an uptrend in, you know, queer YA science fiction, we'll, we'll order more imprints of those books. So yeah, definitely make a stand and say, you know, I want more books that feature XYZ and ask for it and order them and um, prove that there's a market for them because the more we do that, the more we get. Here, here. Yep. Speaking of uh, voting in a way with our wallets, one of the ways that we vote <laughs> in fandom is with our kudos. So mm-hmm. what, what are some recs that you've got for us that people should experience? So I tried to think romance and we had mentioned, you know, PWP plot, what plot or porn without plot. So I tried to pick mm-hmm. one for each of those. Um, and the one that just know and it's so hard to pick um you know what gives you the butterflies and those feelings of like when you're reading a romance that's it's kind of why I read it is I want to feel um the bubbly butterfly romance feelings yeah um and one, yes. that, one that came to mind was um a king for Christmas oh such a good I one. am 90 I am 93 percent stardust um you know it's over 100k um but it reads so much like a romance novel to me of, you know, there's the impetus for them to meet. um, There's reasons why they can't get together. um, There's, you know, the danger of Ty possibly following Tony, um, you know, all across the ocean to this new country. And there's that kind of suspension tension and um, the masquerade um, scene. 
um, and it just yeah reads a lot like a like a romance novel to me of all of these tropes and things that I love and you know um, the slow falling in love and that moment of like oh I have feelings you know um, love it so much it was, it was just so great to read it you know in bits and pieces instead of you know when I have a romance novel in my hand I kind of read it cover to cover <laughs> and the days gone by and it's like whoops <laughs> Um, <laughs> I know you do that too oh yeah um, I'll look up and be like oh oh it was six hours ago got it sorry lunch <laughs> yeah Mr. Flame will come up and be like so is this the same book you were reading the last time I saw you or is it a different one and it's a valid question because things fly when they're on my kindle yes yes um but yeah it's a it's an ABO fic um King Steve Alpha Steve and Omega Tony uh, the tutor for his children and um, love it so much. Um, and then I was like, okay, plot, what plot or porn without plot? I was like, how do you pick? <laughs> There's so many. Um, and I kind of landed on one by our good friend, Robin, um, Robin TCJ. Um, it's called Good Boys. Um, it was published, let's see, December of 2020. Um, you know, it's less than 3,000 words, and it's Stacconi. It's, you know, um, definitely more of the kinkier side of plot, what plot. Um, you know, there's lingerie, there's um, some BDSM elements and stuff like that, and it's like, you just need to know just enough that they're together, they've talked about it, they've negotiated, and move straight on into the port. <laughs> um, nice. Yep. Um, and then my last pick, uh, so I was trying to think, it's like, how do I, how do I, you know, this last one, do I go more romantic? Do I go more of the porn smutty side? Um, I was looking through, um, I found this one, it's from 2017. It's called A Game Show Love Connection by Emphasis on M. Um, it's 43K and it's a shrunky clunks fic where Steve is watching Jeopardy to catch up on everything he missed while he was in the ice and takes the test and makes it on the show. Yeah. He's a showrunner. And it felt it felt appropriate um, after the loss of Alex Trebek um, recently, of this kind of love for geeky things and nerdy things. And I grew up watching Jeopardy so much. Um, don't really get a chance to watch it too much now, but um, it's just a great fun fic the team is so supportive of steve and his you know going on jeopardy and they fly out to watch him play his games and um the tension there is you know bucky can't date a contestant so there's definitely some tension there if we are attracted to each other but i can't but we're gonna go to dinner and there's a pool party scene where it's just a lot of thirst on bucky's end because of course <laughs> i mean but, hi. Um, yeah right <laughs> Um, but it's just uh, fun and flirty and all the good vibes of, of like a quickie romance um, instead of like a longer form one like uh, King for Christmas was just 100k. Um, this one kind of gets everything done below 50 um, and still leaves you feeling good and it's fun. Um, and there you go. And I know you love a Shrunky Clunk story so, and I, I do, do as well. So that's one of I your went favorite. feral when I found that tag. <laughs> went absolutely feral and read all of them when I found that tag after Endgame because um, so much had changed between you know when I first got into Avengers and dipped in and out and 
kind of came back and was just like, I'm going to do nothing but read <laughs> um, post Endgame. And I found this tag and I, I'm pretty sure I've read everything <laughs> in that tag. <laughs> I ordered it by Kudos and started with, uh, which I think Lucky Seven was at the top. And that's one of my yeah. other favorites. Um, and just went down the list. Um, and it was so hard to pick because I actually pulled out five or six Shrunky Clunks fix. I was like, how do I pick? And I was like, Jeopardy. I have to go Jeopardy. I have to go Game Show Love Connection. And obviously, I mean, it fits with the theme of, of the nerd uh, vibe I feel like we really brought to this conversation. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Um, you know, I've always been a, a nerd. and um, But yeah, it's just when something vibes with you and you just kind of jump into it, you know, feet first. That's kind of always been how I, I do things. And um, it's so t weird to look back over fandoms and things. And, and it's like, I have such a poor memory, <laughs> but I remember the emotions that are tied to that time of my life of, I don't remember um, any of the fix I read in Lord of the Rings, but I remember how they made me feel. And the community and how the community on those early message boards made me feel. And I'm still friends with someone, a friend I made on that first message board. Um, we're friends on Facebook to this day, all these years later. Um, That's so exciting. I, I love it. I was thinking there are books that I've reviewed. I have like, you know, my top 25 romances that somebody asks me, like, what should they read? Like, that's kind of the mental Rolodex I flip through. Mm -hmm. And beyond those 25, like I could, I don't remember a whole lot of things about other books, but I can tell you how they made me feel. And yep. even boyfriend material, like I read it so much longer before everyone on the server that got excited did. And everyone's talking plot details. I don't remember any of those. <laughs> I was just like, they're like, and then, and then they did this and then Luke did this. And then and I was like, oh, mm -hmm, yep, totally, totally. Don't remember sure, that at all. Yeah. What I yep. just remember is like holding the book and hugging it at the end and being like, this is good book. Like this, this is, is good book. this is the, <sighs> this is, this is it. And that Ferret and I have talked about that with Fick too. Like for her and, and, and Ashes, it's a, it's a, they want to crawl inside the Fick and do the, and then ha this happened and then this happened and this happened and they keep the Fick kind of going in their brain. And mm -hmm. my mother and I have always said the, the best books are the ones that you close and you feel like you've lost friends. Definitely. Or, and for me, because it's kind of one of the upsides of having a pretty terrible memory. It's those ones I, I want to read again. Um, and I remember how much I loved it and how it made me feel, but I don't remember all of the little details. So it's almost like catching up with your friends again, because you, I was like, I don't remember. Um, the dates they went on or this or that. I just remember how I, how I felt and I can jump back in and reread it. Um, and I do that with fix sometimes, you know, I think I've reread, um, a, turns out I have a rose garden, I think probably four times because I can never remember what all you wrote, but I remember how it makes me feel and how that like bubbly warmth in your chest as you're reading it. Um, that's what's important to me because then I can wreck it. And I'm just like, I don't remember what happens, but you'll love it. Promise. Um. <laughs> yeah, I sometimes tags, I think we should share more on emotions than anything else. Because I don't remember details, but the tag should just be like, this made me feel good, done. <laughs> this made me want to like, I have no, those, I don't know if you experience it sometimes when things are getting too good, and you have to like get up and walk around the room. 
Um, no, I just and, walk, I read faster because I have to know, like, it's getting so know. good. I have to, like, live within it and I can't leave the moment. That's, I have the opposite reaction. Oh, see, sometimes it's just like, oh, like, you almost get, like, overwhelmed of, like, oh, it's happening, things are happening. And I'm like, I'm going to go take a lap around, go get a drink, come back and, like, calm down. <laughs> um, that's when I know it's, it's good because um, it's just, like, it makes you, how you just get, like, excited and it's, like, a physical reaction of, um, this is so exciting and oh, I can't wait for them. Are they going to kiss? Oh, they've been interrupted and you know, things like that, or they do kiss. And yeah, then it's just like, kick my feet and giggle. And it's like, yay, it happened. <laughs> yeah. The, the gif you use most often when we're talking about fix is the one from, isn't it, it's, um, princess and the frog. Oh, of- it is from princess and the frog. <laughs> oh, the where the she's woman holding kicking. something. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, her name is escapes me because like I said memory um but yeah she's like holding a newspaper to her chest and she's kind of kicking her feet because that's totally how I am of just like I could just sit here and scream and and kind of have a physical reaction sometimes because things are so good and make me feel so much um and I'm not so great with putting it into words other than just a key smash or you know a gif god bless gifts (laughs) god bless gifts and on that note, I'm going to say thank you because we could keep going forever. I know us, um, but I will release you back to your life. Thank you so much for <laughs> joining us. And um, I will make sure that all the things that we talked about, including all the books that we ran, that I name checked um, and some of the apps that, and some of the, the things that Moody name checked, they'll be in the show notes and you can always find us on the pot on the suit server. Sure. Thank you for having me. And my DMs are always open if people, you know, can't navigate um, their library's website and they want me to, to take a look and they're willing to share um, that information with me because it is kind of, you know, personal information. It's location. Um, I'm always happy to take a look and because things end up getting buried and, you know, we're librarians. We're not website designers. Um, <laughs> people don't know how to make things accessible. So I'm always willing to chat with you and, and help you out. Amazing. Thanks so much, Moody. You're welcome. February is obviously talked a lot about with love and romance because of Valentine's Day. And as you've guessed from everything else in this episode and this conversation that Moody and I just had, we want to really dive into it a little bit more here on the podcast this month. I went over a couple of these things with Moody in the conversation, but I want to go back to just drill down a little bit more of exactly what romance means um, so that Fair and I can talk a little bit more about romance in traditional publishing, which Moody and I covered, but I'll touch on it a little bit here. But then really what it looks like to write a romance in a fic versus writing a porn what plot situation. And what are some of the mechanics of that? So over the next two segments, we're doing this Let's Talk and then also the next segment of King Exploration are really gonna meld together a little bit more than some other times that we've done this. So if you are somebody who listens segment by segment, we're sorry, they're not gonna be very divided in that way, but we will try to keep all of the talk to the King Exploration bit. <laughs> You're all welcome for that song. That was great. <laughs> Romance in as a genre is much maligned. You can 
refer to any of my other soapboxes in the last 23 episodes about how the world treats female pleasure <laughs> to understand why. But fundamentally, romance is the second biggest genre of publishing. It's behind suspense and mysteries and that's it. And not that far behind to be completely honest. It's a multi-billion dollar industry and it has, it often pays for publishing houses. Very famously, HarperCollins has said a few times that if they did not have their Avon imprint, which is who publishes a lot of their historical romances, that there would be months where it would be very difficult to make their bottom line. And HarperCollins is pretty big. To be a romance in terms of traditionally publishing, and this means you can get that tag on Goodreads or you can get that tag on Amazon or whatever. Really what it needs to be is about a central relationship. The entire story's focus is that relationship and the relationship ends in a happy place. That's it. That's the boundary. You may be flipping in your brain right now through a whole lot of fix that fit that category. I pretty much only write prom, like only write romantic stories. Even my porn always is romantic. I'm always focusing on one central relationship, even if there's a bunch of other characters that are feeding that relationship. The focus of the story is that relationship and the happily ever after has to do with that relationship. I focus so heavily on one relationship. Sometimes I forget other people exist. <laughs> It's entirely true. If any, if you guys are ever reading an event and you're trying to guess between me and Ferret, if there is another character or the <laughs> of the letter U in the word favorite, those are two, yep. <laughs> two differentiating factors that you can tell which one of us is which. If the characters have friends, it was flame. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, so yeah, like uh, there was one fic I wrote recently, which is, was primarily about the couple, but it had a couple other comments and people were like, oh, it was Ferret. And I was sitting there, I was like, you have not read any of Ferret's fic. <laughs> um, but in love, I was thinking that in love. The other kind of books that creep into this, people that talk about books by like Jojo Moyes and some other folks that would be romantic, they have romantic elements, but they are not romance. And I'm not being pedantic here. It's a very important boundary to set around expectations in the same way that tags are really important to readers on AO3. Genre is incredibly important in, in traditional publishing. Expectations versus reality, we've talked a lot about. To write a romance, you are telling people it's going to be this. To have a romance movie, you are telling people it's going to be this, which is why I, like, there are movies that people will say our, our romance or our rom-coms and I'll stomp my foot and be very, very childish because they're not. They're movies with romantic elements. Why this is so important this time of year is because I think it is important to differentiate between the different forms of love. I write lots of fic about lots and lots of kinds of love. I write familial love. I write relate like romantic love. I write the kind of like covenantal deep friendship love that comes. I write all the kinds of love. And so to just jump anytime that someone feels loving into a romance, I think cheapens romance and cheapens love. And we need to have wider conversations about this. I said it with Moody and I'll say it again, traditionally published romance has not been great about forming all the various kinds of love I can see a very strong fan fiction influence on traditional publishing when I track the history of fan fiction and the history of like 
agitation in in social media and agitation for different stories in traditional publishing there fic definitely connects those dots for some people um when you can see your the characters that you love enacting love stories that relate to you then you can be it potentially opens up an imagination that it, you could expect that in traditional publishing and a lot of people have said that fic is a big part of that and there are many, especially male, male, traditionally published writers who have said that they got their practice in how to write male, male in fic. So as fic has broadened and let people play with different forms of love that they themselves may not have experienced, we are now seeing that in traditionally published romances as well. Um, one of the things I love about the e-publishing part of romance is that just like AO3, Amazon opening up its own publishing arm to be digital publishing became the democratization of a lot of stories. And we talked, I talked about that with, with Moody a little bit and the whole Kindle Unlimited thing. So there are quite a lot of parallels between traditional publishing and, and, and FIC and AO3 and kind of what that meant and how it can work and how it can move. Of course, when commerce enters into these kind of things, a lot of the parallels break down. All told, one of the things that I find incredibly encouraging as somebody who straddles both of these worlds, I'm still very active in romance, reviewing and talking about it and gushing about stories. I, all, nearly every story I read is a love story, whether it's in a book or in a fic. And then somebody who's obviously, I mean, moderately involved in fandom. I only kind of dabble. Just a bit, um, one toe. One toe. I adore how many kinds of love stories I can encounter on a daily basis. And that, yes, they all, there's lots of tropes. Oh my gosh, like, please refer to our trope episode for all of the tropes. Fic and romance share quite a lot of them. And you can fall into stories in any kind of manner, but I'm increasingly grateful that at any given moment, I can pick up my phone and whether it be through my Kindle app or the AO3 webpage, find people I recognize falling in love, whatever that love looks like and experiencing love, whatever that love looks like. And so as you're listening to this on the most manufactured holiday of all manufactured holidays, we wanted to focus a little bit on how FIC and trad publishing kind of interact in that. But there are lots and lots and lots of ways that they are different. And I know Ferret has more of a holistic view on that. I'm a little too close to these things to talk about their <laughs> differences. But so Ferret, talk, help me give them the whole story. Okay, well, I've been thinking about this and I and some of what you were saying brought to mind also the FFN versus AO3 thing. And that if you post on FFN, you have to define a genre for your piece. And that's not something that you need to do on AO3. And just like to, to look at it from not a competing perspective, but sort of flip the mirror and look at the other side. The freedom of not having to say this is a romance also lets people push the boundaries a little bit of what a romance is because they don't have to justify if it is a romance or not. And that's something that FIC sort of gives you the freedom to do. If you're seeking traditional publishing, you have to decide who you're gonna pitch it to and you have to send a cover letter that says what the book is. And we have tags to do that, but it's almost like you get to sort of circle the concept, but not have to actually pin it down. 
and that can have mm. pros and cons because sometimes you go into something thinking this is gonna be a traditional romance and you read it and you're like oh wow that was not a traditional romance um because AO3 fix don't have a genre but um it also lets people you know I mean the the classic thing of fic is that you don't have to justify anything you can just do it you can just write what you want to write and um that freedom can be you know too open for some people uh and and traditional publishing can be too closed for other people so I think that I think that it's interesting to sort of draw these parallels between the genres that traditional publishing has to have because publishing houses have to have boundaries and the utter chaos of the total freedom of not having to define anything you don't want to define in order to post a fic you can just make up whatever you want <laughs> and uh and yeah I think maybe what's most interesting is that the way that people use tags sort of really does tell us what we need to know most of the time there's sort of these it's almost like you know the the like Lord of the Flies thing, if you put a bunch of people on an island, what kind of society do they make? And it turns out that like, obviously Lord of the Flies is not what they make, but that we basically just replicate the same society over and over and over again. Like humans are basically human. And that we get we give people the total freedom of not having to justify their pieces, not having to pick a genre. And yet we see the same like combinations of tropes and the same structures of stories that you see in traditional romances played out over and over and over again in fix because it's what people love. It's what, it's what so many people want to get out of their stories. So maybe at the end of the day where humans are human. <laughs> and the, this is in a way, a really appropriate, like final episode of our season because it culminates so many of the other things we have been talking about and culminates so much of how we've all interacted with fandom in some ways in the fact that genres and tags all let you curate your own entertainment experience. And over and over again, I hear people saying like, well, I really loved reading, but then I had to like, when I was little, but then I went to school and I read all these terrible books and now I read a ton of fic. And so I guess I I'm not really a book reader. And I'm like, right, fine. You read way more words <laughs> than a lot of people read traditionally published. Um, fix are massive, like absolutely massive in terms of word count. And I don't ever think of shaming people for reading what they read as if you're reading something you're reading. And I think that's beautiful and wonderful. And I celebrate reading in whatever form it comes. But I love this idea that fandom can also smush things together. In traditional publishing, you don't get a whole lot of sci-fi that is also a romance. You don't get that on movie screens either. People, movie screen, like movies and television and traditional stuff because they have to make money has to often stay. And there's a whole lot more stakeholders. I mean, a, a book that ends up on your bookshelf probably has 45 to 50 people having a voice in that story by the end of the day. Whereas fic, most of us are lucky if we find a good beta. <laughs> so it's a really different and a movie kind of thousands. <laughs> Yeah, a movie has thousands. A television show probably has thousands on for some people, especially. Whereas you get to completely control what you write and you get to complete and often the person that you're seeing is the only person involved in that story. 
And so we don't have in fic maybe the myth of the solo creator that we have in these traditional roots. Uh, that is a separate conversation. As I'm talking, I like we could do a whole separate episode on that <laughs> later. But I, what I think is really great about romance itself, first of all, is that it celebrates fundamentally that people can be and are allowed to be happy. Yeah. And so much of fic, even the even like the the dark torture stuff, what it is celebrating is that that makes its creator happy. What we are fundamentally celebrating is joy, no matter what it comes in. And for me, and for a lot of romance, there are romance scholars, by the way, there are whole academic disciplines around romance. I've done academic research projects on romance, which I, which one of them will, uh, I'll get to in half a second. But one of the thing that over and over and over again, it is the only traditional publishing genre that hallmarks the fact that somebody has to be happy in it. Somebody has to be happy. The characters have to be happy. There is no conversation about happiness or joy or fulfillment or anything else in any of the other genres as a genre rule. And that's something pretty cool, especially in these times where joy is really hard to find some days. I think it's really lovely. However you celebrate that and find it, if you find it in fic, if you find it in traditional publishing, if you find it in your offline life, in your online life, however you find it is beautiful. The other flip side of both fic and romance is this whole issue of the, of the bow, bow, wow, of the sex of it, right? So this is when we're transitioning into King exploration. So if you are, um, this is a put on your earphones for grandma. If you're grocery shopping with us, try not to fondle the melons too intensely. <laughs> One of the sameness between fic and romance that is routinely brought up both by scholars and by all of us in servers, I think I've been in this conversation 15 to 20 times, is the number of people that learn about their bodies and sex from both romance novels and fic. And this is a double-edged sword. There's some really beautiful things about this and some fairly scary things about this. And that is what we are going to talk about in the next segment. So we'll see you if you wanna join us in King Exploration. So if you didn't just join us for our let's talk on romance as a genre, you should have, <laughs> but we set up what we're going to talk about now, which is basically realism versus idealism in smut and the idea of romance around porn, but also just porn around porn, um, how it's approached in fic and the perspective of smut in fic, both from within fandom and without fandom. So the first thing I really want to touch on is to talk a little bit about the, the purpose and the commercialization of commercial porn. So pornography of any kind that people are in some way paying for, whether that is watching ads or being on a website with ads, um, or paying for someone's OnlyFans or subscription to a website or a Playboy magazine, I am sure that is still possible and people still do that. I have not seen a Playboy magazine in many moons, but they must still be out there. Don't tell me, if you know that Playboy went under or something, don't tell me, it's foundation. Anyway, the fundamental point of commercialized porn is to keep people consuming it. 
just like with so many other things we are being sold, the goal is to get you to keep coming back, either because it keeps you paying your subscription fees or because it uh, keeps you looking at ads, um, clicking on links on their website, whatever it is, the goal is to keep you watching. The goal is not to educate you about sex or help you explore your own sexuality or help you explore the world of kink. Fundamentally, the point is to take your money <laughs> or take what take you as data that represents money. Um, and so that being said, that makes the collision of sex education and pornography uh, a, a Venn diagram of what you can and can't learn from porn. And I've got to include fic in this as well because not just fundamentally because most of us have been exposed to and learned first from commercialized pornography in some way, whether it's erotic fiction or, um, you know, going on Pornhub, but also because we as writers are, even on AO3, our goal is still to have people enjoy themselves and come back for more, not necessarily to teach people things or, you know, we don't even generally know what our target market is because the range of people on the internet is so vast and we have no control over who's reading our fix. So we can't say that it is a targeted piece of, you know, education material. Um, so at the end of the day, my point is that the goal of porn is to arouse you. It's to, for you to have a good time um, or to enjoy watching other people be aroused or be interested in watching other people be aroused enough that you want to consume more. And for a lot of people who enjoy reading erotic fiction, it's just to have a sensual experience, whether that is physical for you or not. Um, for many people, it's just the stimulation in your brain of reading about people being physically uh, aroused or whatever it is that you get from it. And for people who specifically don't seek out erotic fiction, for people who experience sex within other fiction, like within romance novels or within other things, they would not necessarily put this together in their brain, but they still experience the same titillated feelings that we do. There's usually just more conversation about, well, I'll only read the sex scenes if it serves a bigger plot point. Just like with a lot of, of the things that we talk about, the tropes that drive us, the, the, the parts of the relationship that drive us, a lot of it comes down to emotional catharsis. And when you're reading something erotic, it's generally either a form of emotional catharsis or physical catharsis, or it's an echo of a physical catharsis that you don't have to repeat physically yourself. So if you're not actively masturbating, you can still read about somebody else finding pleasure and it will light up similar parts of your brain. So, you know, it's just about that cathartic experience, however it plays out in detail for you. <laughs> yeah. We just want to say however you first encountered it and however you encounter it now is you're still getting the same stuff. Yeah. Your body's still reacting the same way, which is why a lot of you who say to us, well, I learned about sex from fic, you're not alone. There's a lot of people that learned about sex from fic and a lot of people that learned about sex from books and a lot of people that learned about sex from porn because there is no country in the world that is good at sex ed. Not a single damn fucking one. Yep. Not a single one. And so we all learn about stuff via our friends 
whether those friends are internet friends or those friends are people we watch on Pornhub. We all learn from other humans and generally not in formalized education. So if you've always carried some sort of sense of shame that you learned this stuff, we release you from that. Actually, it's more nor- it's less normal to not learn from these kind of things. <laughs> Even if that's not the purpose. And that's what we want to talk about now that you can learn things, even though we want to drive home again, as Ferret said, I want to, I want you to hear me say it too. The purpose of porn is never to educate. So with this collision, what we end up with is material that can educate you, but isn't obligated to, isn't expected to, and has no, um, boundaries or curriculum or oversight to ensure that it's educating you correctly. Yes. It's not culpable. There's no accountability. There's no responsibility and there's no way of being, of, of verifying the validity of your sources because you could be learning this from someone with even less sexual experience than you. So what can you learn from porn? There are lots of things about sex that you can learn from porn. Things about sex itself and things about you yourself. Um, Flame, I know that for you, one of the most important things that you feel is words and language is a big thing that you can get from reading porn that it's, that's valuable, vital information and um, capacity for you to not just know what questions to ask, but know how to describe things, know what you don't know. Yeah, I mean, I've talked to people who didn't know, I've talk, like talked to people who had no idea what a clitoris was until they read that word in a in a fic or in a book. Right. And that's an important word to know if one is going to engage in sex with somebody who contains female reproductive organs. Like that's a really important word. Um, I've met people who didn't know what a uterus was until they read about it in a story. I've met people that didn't know that nipples were erotic until they read about it in a story. Um, And so the fact that their breasts and their nipples got really, really sensitive during their period, they thought there was something wrong with them and they didn't even know how to ask that question out loud. And they read about it in a fic and they were like, oh, this is why. And then you know what to Google in a way. Yeah. Um, Because I remember when I was younger, 17 magazine used to have like write-in things where you could ask sex questions. And if I read nothing else in every month, 17, I read that feature. (laughs) I remember reading the sex advice in Cosmo a lot. And a lot of it went over my head, but like we'd steal it from our moms and then be like, what's a (laughs) blowjob? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a lot of, you don't know what you don't know. And so this can teach you what is in the range of human sexuality which is wide and beautiful and often overwhelming when you first start exploring sexuality, both in your own body and with others. Um, I think that's important. It's also very important for people who grow up in um, not sex positive environments, whether that's your whole country is not sex positive, your family is not sex positive. Um, It's incredibly important to have a space that is not judgmental to learn those questions and learn those things. Um, I was having a conversation a couple of weeks ago with somebody who grew up in Saudi Arabia, for instance, and happened to grow up in a particularly extreme family, even within the extreme uh, modesty culture that can exist within that country. And had a really, really, did not ever speak to her mother about getting her period, like ever. 
and it wasn't until she went to university in America that she learned what the word tampon was in English and could like figure it all out. And she learned what that all meant from um, things she illegally downloaded on the internet. Right. And so like that in some ways very much almost like bizarrely and not to be cheap, but like saved her life in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so we are terrible as human beings in talking about bodies atrocious at it for a whole host of reasons even in what seemed to be very open or you know that like you say no country even ones with otherwise excellent curriculums no country is good at sex ed no because no one's going to teach a teenager how to have an orgasm yeah like that's no one's going to do it and if you went to a school that did it like that's a unicorn but like no government i can think of is going to sanction teaching teenagers how to have an orgasm and having an orgasm is a vital part of not a is is a is a vital part in terms of like it's a major function not that it's necessary of sexual experience we are generally taught about sexual experience entirely from a procreative standpoint even though the highest number of nerve endings in the human body is on sex organs. So it's okay, Flame. Why I love exposing people to these fictional worlds is that there's no danger in these explorations mentally. And it can really normalize feelings and hormones I love it in particular now for people who do not feel sexual attraction in their offline life that fic and stories are teaching them that that's also normal and okay. I was going to say, and it gives them a language for it. I love, I love that so much. Yes. I've definitely heard a lot of, um, I think that, that sexuality, the nature of human sexuality, the breadth of human sexuality is something that fic can be great at teaching. Uh, there's a lot of different forms of relationships that most people aren't going to necessarily see in real life these days, or, you know, they have, there's no one in their family that are living these sorts of relationships. And so getting to read about them and see the different ways that people can connect and the different kinds of emotional connections and sexual connections that people can form is something that FIC absolutely teaches us. And like you say, I think that fundamentally what we get out of it is, is the, the starting block. It's the, it's the words to use. It's the questions to ask. It's the opening of the eyes to other possibilities. And that's all really important foundational stuff for building a healthy mindset towards sexuality and a healthy relationship with your own sexual experience, whether that is having sex with another person or having sexual encounters by yourself or not having those things. Those are all choices and explorations everyone does for themselves. And reading about sex and reading people's descriptions of sex acts and sexual relationships is a way for everybody to get that start of how they relate to these kinds of things for themselves. That being said, <laughs> there's a lot you also can't learn from porn or that is so commonly idealized instead of realistic in porn that it's not going to give you an accurate representation of what sexual activity is actually like in real life, if that's what you're seeking. There's a lot of... Um, misplaced anatomy in erotic fiction, even in, you know, edited, published, traditionally published erotic fiction. There's a lot of 
questionable anatomy. Um, sometimes that's simply because of a lack of knowledge. Obviously we are two women here talking. We both write a lot of men having sex and there's only so much that you can know about that experience from a distance and how much research someone chooses to do or how much research someone has the access to. Blame and I both live with penis wielders and can test things out and ask questions. Not everybody does. So, um, you know, every, everyone's capability for writing anatomy and anatomically correct erotica is also varies. Um, but also people's desire to do that varies. Maybe they want to write a different kind of anatomy and you don't know whether the, the reason why things look a little different down there is because people vary like that in real life or because they, the person writing it didn't know that they were doing it wrong or that- Or they're writing APO and they just made up a whole separate yeah, thing. It's a whole other fantasy world and this is all- you know, imagine coming across ABO and having no idea that it was it was like a trope with these rules. You could totally believe if if you don't own a penis that most penises have knots on them. Yeah, especially because some porn, the way some porn is edited, God, they could. So yeah, Ooh. Ooh. so and and that gets us back to also like visual pornography, not just um, not like fan art, but even into uh, real on camera couples having sex. Um, just like with, with movie magic, a lot of that isn't presented to you actually factually the way that it was done to make the movie happen. Um, there are, there are things they do. There are drugs. A lot of them take a lot of men in porn are taking Viagra to keep their erection. There's, um, cuts, film cuts. Um, there's fake orgasms. There's a lot of acting, they're actors, they're acting. And while it may be arousing and it may be a wonderfully idyllic view of sex and you may enjoy that, you can't trust that you're getting an accurate portrayal. And that is true of erotic fiction as well. A lot of us never claim to write realistic sex. I certainly do not. All of the sex in my fix, I do my best to make it plausible but it's idealistic and that it's plausible, but too beautiful to be real. <laughs> so there's a lot of like the perfect sex TM is how a lot of um, fic writers approach it. They're not gonna talk about someone falling off the bed or someone farting or someone falling asleep halfway through or drunk people being too drunk to actually get it up or the embarrassing waddle to the bathroom after or, um, any kids host, kids interrupting, interrupting, pets interrupting, someone knocks on the door, the time you think you can get finished up before the pizza arrives, but you don't, uh, losing or sex toys in your body. <laughs> yeah. Or the time that women think they're wet enough and ready. And then it, then they're not, and there's no more lube. Like there's all there's of these. So much. <laughs> there's so much. And I think it's, one of the things I appreciate about the discord spaces I'm in is that it does provide people space to ask sex questions, especially for those people who haven't had any level of physical intercourse, intercourse or in intimacy. And they say that, and then they can ask those of us that have some degrees. Um, and I love answering questions. I've had people come into my DMS and say, 
I know you said you asked Mr. Flame questions. Can you ask him this question for my fix? <laughs> I've done that too. Loves, loves being helpful. Mr. Ferret, um, I have a question about your penis. <laughs> exactly. I'll just like, sometimes I'll look at him and be like, so <laughs> in this scenario, and he'll sit there and think, and he'll be like, no, nah, it's no, nah. but they can still write it. It might get somebody off. <laughs> um, and it's very, it's, it's hard. I have a lot of gay male friends that I ask very specific questions about, like I very famously write a whole hell of a lot of blowjobs. Um, and one of those is because my friend that had talks to me the most about his sex life, his favorite thing is blowjobs. And so I hear the most stories about those. Um, he is not as into, as into anal as a lot. Cause that's one of the other things about gay sex that like, I know he would ask me to tell you guys, not every gay dude is into anal. Um, it's just not a thing that has to happen. Not every single sexual encounter needs to be like a multi-orgasmic situation. All of that stuff is, is the beautiful fantasy. We all want it to be multiple orgasmic situation. We all want everybody to come and everybody to be pleased and all of those endorphins and all of those wonderful things. But like the couple coming together often takes a lot of practice. It's not necessarily something that just happens the way it just doesn't fit because we're so overwhelmed with love. It it's it's a lot more bodies are just fucking weird, man. Yeah. Like you're fucking weird. And they the thing that you thought was gonna get you off and always get you off, this one day doesn't because your head's in a different place. Yeah. You know, it and can that, entirely not be the other person's problem that you suddenly find out you're making your grocery list in your head. Like it's, it's yeah. just, there's a, there's a mental component and there's a physical component and it's entirely possible. You're going to have control over neither of those things. And yeah, that's something and that know, we just, we often choose actively choose to leave out in fic because it isn't the purpose of what we're trying to do. We are trying to titillate. We're trying to be erotic. We're trying to be idealistic and create these moments that feel too just the edge of too good to be true because that's the purpose of the fiction that we're creating and if you ask that to be educational then you have to sacrifice the idealism because education has to be realistic it has to be pragmatic you have to talk about the farting because it does happen and so we can't have both of those things exist and I think it's unfair to ask for fiction to give up on the the joy and freedom and beauty of chasing that that like platonic ideal of a feeling <laughs> chasing the euphoria because that's what it is and that's what yeah. we're trying to do in a lot of ways and yeah I, it's 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 inappropriate it's an inappropriate ask of fiction to yeah. sacrifice that so that people understand that you have to pee after uh, that a, a vagina needs to pee after it has a penis in it like yeah. utis are fun for no one Seriously. absolutely no one. if you so have pee. a vagina please pee after sex <laughs> you if you don't know this just have some cranberry juice in your fridge <laughs> and down a glass every once in a while if you are a vagina owner who lives with or who interacts with a penis wielder just just a tip a yeah. pro tip from, from anti-flaring <laughs> on that um, but the, it's so i've written a fic where the sex got interrupted a bunch because that was the point of the fic the point of the fic was that sam and bucky's daughters kept interrupting them and they kept trying to figure out creative ways to have sex without their elementary school children finding them and yeah. that was a really fun challenge and i loved writing that 
I write way more fix where I absolutely, I've sent the scenes to friends of mine and they've been like, no one has sex like that, but that was really hot. I'm like, thank you. That was the point. Yeah. Um, the other thing that fit cannot teach you and porn cannot teach you and anything else. And this is a little bit, again, like anti flaret moment here, but we want to make this very clear. It cannot tell you what you are ready to do or what you are going to enjoy. Yep. It can start to can give help. you ideas. It can start, it can start the processes. It can certainly give you kinks, which you weren't expecting to get. For but sure. at the end of the day, when it comes to the physicality of sex and especially being physical with other people in whatever ways you do that, it can't, it can't answer that question for you. When I taught sex ed, one of the things I always told my students was that if you aren't ready to say the word, the anatomy words out loud, it's very possible you're not ready to have the anatomy touch you. Yeah. And I still stand by that. I still think that that's a, that's a, a thing you need to be comfortable with in order to engage in that. And that's, that's another thing that is often skipped when we're doing this beautiful sex TM in fiction. And this is the same in, because this is something that, that also you don't have to see the actual sex to have these kinds of things reinforced, even rom-coms and other romantic TV shows, movies, stuff like that, that fade to black. It's one thing that you very rarely see is pragmatic conversations about sex and in fic, a lot of times it's the heated moment. They, they smash into each other. It's all clothes tearing off and teeth and tongues and, and everybody has a great time. But in reality, most of the time, there are several conversations that lead up to sex, whether you're picking someone up in a bar or having sex with your long-term partner or having sex for the first time with a long-term partner, you use your mouth to talk before you apply it to genitals. So... And leaving that out is part of the process of making this feel more magical than it is because this idea that you can read each other's minds and you just know what each other wants and everything you try is the sexiest thing the other person has ever experienced is part of the idealism part and not part of the realism part. So it can be hard to tease a tease apart to separate the things that are being shown to you that are realistic and the things that are not because you know we can say, oh, it'll help you figure out your emotions towards sex, but it won't help you figure out how to talk to a partner about sex, except it will, because it'll start giving you the words, but it won't help giving you the confidence to say them necessarily. <laughs> and the other thing too, is that the, the issue of consent is something in fix and in fiction is often portrayed as something that happens once, whereas there are lots of ways to communicate about consent throughout the sexual experience, no matter who it's with or how long you've been with that person. And there's a lot of traditionally published romance now that has a whole lot of affirmative consent throughout the whole sexual experience. And a lot of readers are like, man, this takes me out of the moment. And there are other readers that are like, oh my God, thank goodness, because I need that. So this is a, the more and more people are exploring how to write sex scenes, there's going to be more and more your mileage may vary mm -hmm. on exactly what you want. I wrote an ABO fic. It's actually my most popular ABO fic. And I explicitly have um, Steve's and Omega in distress. And I specifically have um, Tony realize that he entered Steve's nest without getting consent. And like the whole smell of the room changes and Tony steps back out and is like, oh my God, I forgot to ask. I'm so sorry. And some of the longest comments I've gotten are about the decision that that decision that I put in the fic, like, well, there's not enough affirmative consent. Thank you so much for this. Consent is sexy. But I definitely also get like, man, that took me out of the moment. And I was like, well, cool. The moment wasn't the, like, that wasn't the point of that scene, but I get what you're saying. 
here's all of my other porn. Um, like I usually link them to other people actually. Cause I'm like, actually, this is kind of how I write sex is I write it a little bit more realistically than a lot of other people. And that's just me. Like I always have that, that bit of it in it. But if you, and that, but that, that realisticness is also going to vary hugely between people. Some people who've been in relationships for a long time, they don't have to use words at all. They just look at each other and it's like, yeah, we're going to go bang. And there's no, like, there's no need to have a loud affirmative consent at that point. The negotiation of what consent is varies hugely depending on the culture, depending on the, the moment, depending on your relationship with the person. So how sexy that is for you also is going to vary hugely based on your experiences and what you're looking for in a relationship. So in that sense, it can help you determine if that's something that you, that you do find sexy. <laughs> Absolutely. And there, the other thing too, is that just a, a heads up, more people have conversations during sex than fiction ever, ever portrays. Yeah. It's the time when the music swells and, and nobody uses their words, but like most people talk a lot. People talk a lot. And sometimes it's like, I mean, legitimately, like, no joke. We have had like actual conversations oh, about yeah. things stuff. Did but, you like, let the just, dog out today? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did we remember to turn the oven off? Um, <laughs> what do you want for dinner anyway. after? <laughs> exactly. Oh, I'm getting a cramp. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. The older you oh, get, the more it's like, oh, fuck my hip. Just a minute. <laughs> oh, fuck. Okay, you have to hurry up or I'm going to need to move. Like, that's. <laughs> Those are really, really normal conversations. And every single person, no matter their gender or their sexuality that I know, has to tell the other person what their body is doing. You like, yeah. and that's just part of this. The mind and that, is real. That's never in fiction. And like sometimes I want it in there, but most of the time I don't. And so in terms of reality expectations, like one of my biggest pet peeves about sometimes about sex in in fiction in published fiction is that like no one ever has to move because something is cramping no one ever like sometimes that level of it takes me out of it and it isn't as it isn't as titillating as it could be because sometimes I really just want to know that like my body could do those things and I could put myself in that position Hmm. Uh, and I have a real thing with like um, oh, uh, my other thing is female virgins orgasming the first time. Like that's a big pet peeve of mine. Like it's just, <laughs> oh man, um, that was a process for a whole lot of my female friends and myself in full disclosure. So like, I do that think that like, I do think that um, there's like a whole other conversation here too about why a lot of people might want to experience porn or read erotic fiction that's about bodies they don't have because there's a, there's a degree of separation where you can just believe that, that all of this is possible because you're not up against the wall of your own memories and experiences for it. And we can talk about that when we talk about why do women like reading male male? <laughs> why do women, why do overwhelmingly, why do more women write and read male male than men? Yes, I have lots of data to back that up because people have written PhDs on that. So they sure have. Um, so. It's fascinating. But anyway, but anyway, I say all of that, I say all of that kind of vaguely Oversherry, first of all, because I don't think it should be oversherry. I don't think that I should feel embarrassed to say these things. I don't think that I think the any feelings of like, oh, we shouldn't talk about this is cultural more than anything else. And sex is a part of life for a whole lot of people. And it's one of those things that you kind of have to have an opinion on for yourself. It's not a passive entity. And it's it's something we just need to be more comfortable talking about. 
which I think is one of the gifts that Fick has given to a whole lot of people is not only knowing anatomy, but knowing slang words and knowing different slang words in different cultures and understanding things and all of that kind of stuff to circle back. But we want to make it clear too that part of reading this and experiencing these things and having the emotion and is part of the separating fantasy from reality is realizing that no matter how many times you read people doing these things, even if they have the body you have, or they have the body you want to have is not you. And it's not the partner you're going to have or the partners you're going to have. It's not you. And that's okay. If you're in the middle of something that you read about and you want to give it a try and it's not working, you know what? It's not working. And that's it. That's cool. You can be done with that. And there's not, it's not a manual and that's okay. It's not a manual, but it can be a guiding light. I think that's kind of what we're coming around to. Um, yeah, I like that. Phrase. Yeah, it's not yeah. a manual, but it can be. It can be. A, it can be a, a lighthouse. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end of the day, we want to say if you're writing super idealized or super fictionalized porn, don't feel bad that you're not educating people. It's not your responsibility to do that. Your porn can be as pie in the sky as you want it to be that's totally fine. I also don't think that there's an obligation to, to tag things to make it clear that the sex is fake. Part of learning how to deal with fiction and reality that young people need to learn and should be learning in school is that they're not always going to be warned that something isn't real and they need to be able to start learning how to tease those things apart. Every other, other points, every country is bad at sex ed. Um, if you have knowledge then I think sharing it is a good thing. I think everybody who shows they're comfortable talking about sex, especially us older fandomy people to some of the younger fandomy people can only be a good thing. Um, and once, you know, once we're raising generations that are comfortable talking about sex, they're gonna raise generations that are even more comfortable talking about sex. And this is something that can shift and change and already has. And if you want to know more, then fic isn't a bad thing to experience, but take everything with a grain of salt. Know that there are tons of excellent resources out there for legitimate education material about sex. We're gonna link Ojoy oh Sex Toy for sure in the show notes because it's a fantastic um, education source. And there's a couple of other ones that, that you know, we'll, we'll, we'll link a couple links um, that'll also have ways for you to get to, to other resources. Um, I think that pornography in all of its various ways can be part of your sexual experience um, with, and you shouldn't feel ashamed, shamed about that. Uh, and that, you know, education enca encapsulates a lot of things. And some of that is learning to be inside your own body. And some of that is just practice. And uh, Fick gives us a good place to to practice some of that. So thank you, Fick, but also thank you, sex education when it's done well. And those things can coincide and collide in certain places without having expectations that the other will do their job. Since it is Valentine's Day, we thought that for today's Calm Talks, instead of us nattering on, 
we would once again turn the mic over to you guys. But this time we asked you to send in your Valentines for other members of fandom or fandom spaces or fandom in general for us to read on air. So we are going to dive in. We got some amazing messages from you guys. Um, and we're going to dive in and read those Valentines out loud. Uh, and also, before we get to that, happy Valentine's Day from us. You guys certainly are our Valentine. And we're so grateful that you're here with us. And uh, we love you. We do. You guys got Ferret to be schmoopy on Maine. We That's did. how much she loves you. I'm also a little sick. So, you know, <laughs> you got me it in a weak moment. Cold medicine talking. <laughs> it's Valentine's Day. You got me in a weak moment. I will say, I love you guys. And now we're going to hear what you guys love in fandom and who you love in fandom. And I would say, keep your ears open because there might be a special message directed just for you. Being in this fandom gives me so much. Joining the Discord servers and interacting with y'all really keeps me sane during this lockdown times. It also brought me back to writing and I'm super grateful for that. I would like to send a special heart day message to Flaret. Thank you for the beautiful community you've built with the pod, for all the time you've spent to make this the best pod and fandom space it can be. Thank you for sharing your words of wisdom with us, whether it is about commas, ships, or history. Every week I learn something new and I appreciate it more than I can express. Thank you, darling Galentines. XOXO. At Crown of Stardust and Bone is a huge inspiration for me and one of the best friends I've ever had. She is a good and kind soul and a true gift to this fandom. Valentine Confession. While I freely admit to happy, mushy feelings about Hurt Comfort Fix or Ace Rep, my secret passion is horror sci-fi. Fave Stony Frick is a gem by Ask the Ravens called What Lies Beneath. I have the biggest crush on LMAO underscore thunder, but I would never tell her that because there is no way she wants to date me, but she's really sweet and I hope she's having a good Valentine's Day. For feigned sobriquet, fandom would be infinitely poor without you. For Stella, Stella for star who has helped me grow, made me laugh and been my friend. I love you and your good tunes. To flame, the brightest welcome to a new fandom a gal could ask for and my light in this tough time. Winter iron fandom, I bros, my hose, you fill me with longing. Screeching and rusted, I broke down your doors, my heartbeat a songing. Kisses at daybreak, romance at sweet 17, and Hanukkah but benign. Your words and artistry turn out winter iron to the motherfucking nines. Forget homecoming, you and me, we are the one. Wrecked like a freight car, mind the gap, and I am done. <laughs> Thank you, Stark Snack, for always being so sweet and enthusiastic about fandom. Athla Tiger, you're amazing. Keep it up. We love you. For Fundamental Blue, no matter what happens, I'll always be glad that I called you a friend. For Morphia Writes, you made this fandom a safe place for me. You are the best person I know. Blowing kisses to everyone out there that leaves kudos, comments on, or Rex fanworks of any kind. You guys make it worth it. So I recently discovered I have a crush on one of my friends who I've been talking to for almost four and a half months. They're so nice and they understand me and it makes me feel comfortable being me. I'm trying to get to know them more and understand them better. I really hope everyone has a happy Valentine's Day and gets what they deserve. 
I don't always have the spoons to interact with fandom these days, but I want it known how much I love and appreciate all our delightful creators, every single one of them. Reading new fic and enjoying new art is my favorite way to unwind and completely makes my day. So thank you guys for all the smiles. I'm wishing you all a very happy Valentine's. I want to send some love to a certain writer. They were the first person I interacted with in this fandom through leaving comments on their fic, and they were so nice. Even if they don't know it, those interactions encouraged me to try to reach out more to others. And now I'm happy that I have a small place in this fandom with people I enjoy talking to. I always try to be as welcoming with others as they were with me. Depressing Greeny slash Darth Blood Orange is a fantastic and creative artist and I love all the work that they do. I look forward to everything that they do. They deserve all the good things in the world. Marumo does such a fantastic job promoting and supporting Avengers Assemble. She does so much for that corner of fandom. To Moody Bear, you are a ray of sunlight on snowy days, one of the best cheerleaders, a truly spectacular fandom friend, and an absolutely amazing author to boot. I am grateful for your friendship. Happy Valentine's Day. And happy Valentine's Day again from us, you guys. Thanks for sending them in. You can always share more love on the podcast server if you want to. And we'll see you next time on Calm Talks. All right, pals, it's time for everyone's favorite segment. <laughs> it's trouble. <laughs> Barrett, what's what's going on? Tell us what's happening. All right. Last episode, I left you with our um, with a, the current running trope off for that weekend, which was friends with benefits versus space AU. And it was a, it was a pretty strong win from friends with benefits. I think that, I think that that's not hugely surprising, not because space is bad, but maybe because it's a little more niche, whereas friends with benefits can cover quite a, a lot of things. Uh, I've seen often in trope off that the more specific the trope, the less well it does against broader tropes because people are, are more able to interpret it that is what they want. So Friends with Benefits took 60%, Space AU took 40%. Did you did you vote for Friends with Benefits? I feel like you did. <laughs> I did, I did. I'm very picky about my Space AUs and there are some that have completely surprised me and I adore them, but more often than not, like I just don't love sci-fi as much. Yeah. So. Like if it's a lot of tech talk, which I know people love and I don't want to deprive them of that. It's just not for me. Um, but I have noticed that in the last couple of months, especially there's been a real uptick of people talking about doing Star Trek AUs and just general space AUs. So I hope it's having a moment for people who really love it. Yeah. And I think every time we get a new um, a new canon available. So another like uh, AU source material kind of thing. So if Netflix puts out a new show or something like that, then people have the opportunity for a new kind of sci-fi AU that there's going to be a little boom. So maybe there's something coming out recently that uh, that's got people talking. Yeah, I haven't, I have not been watching WandaVision, but maybe there's something in that. I don't know, or just, <laughs> I have no idea. But I think uh, I would imagine the enemies to lovers will get a bump with Falcon and Winter Soldier if the trailer released at the American Super Bowl is any indication. <laughs> so. Yeah, but even stuff like the the boom from 
um, old guard and before that good omens like we saw influences from that in our fandom just in the AUs that people oh I see doing. what you're saying yeah so you know if some good sci-fi content comes out I expect we'll see an uptick in sci-fi AUs as well yeah and again it's one that I cheer uh, passionately from the sidelines so then the next weekend which happened to fall on a Monday Tuesday that week just you know how time goes um, we had, we had, we had a, a runaway <laughs> winner. We had body swap versus major character death. And yeah, this was not even a conversation for me. No, this was, I think for a lot of people, major character death is too final and too sad. So, mm -hmm. uh, I think that was an easy choice. It was a lower number of votes though. So it could mean that there's a lot of people who aren't interested in it either, and so they abstained. Yeah. And if we see body swap up against some of the other more popular ones, because it was it was about half as many votes as these trope offs usually get. And again, <laughs> the weekend was a Monday, Tuesday that week. So that may have had something to do with it. But I am curious to see how body swap fares against um, other more popular tropes later on. And um, unfortunately, I have feelings that a major character death isn't isn't going to be a strong runner for the win, <laughs> and I'm sorry because I know people love it, love it a lot. But um, but I will say that when we're playing, can we combo these body swap and major character death? Imagine a character dying while they're in the wrong body. I think that there's just like. I mean, it's too painful for me, I think, to read unless it was temporary character death. But for an angst weasel out there, I feel like that's a cool concept I've not seen done before. Yeah, I'm, I feel like I'm, I should page hippo. Like, <laughs> we've got someone, some someone write that. In that. Someone write that. Yeah. Someone at least, yeah. at least do an outline and throw that on Tumblr because I am super interested in that as a concept, what it means. And like, does that mean that the other person is now permanently stuck in the other body because they can't swap back? Or, you know, there's inherently a dualist acceptance if you're gonna have body swap that mind and body or like soul and body are separate things. So if the if the body dies, do, does that person try and go back into their original body, which means now there's two people in one body? Like, I just think that there's a lot, there's a lot there. So I would really love for someone to run with that. Sounds good. This is one I abstained from, I will admit, because I do not care for either one. There you go. So yeah. this was one that, that I did not vote for. Like, that's what I meant. This was easy. I just saw it and went, oh, neither. My answer is neither. <laughs> I think that's easier than the ones that are really, uh, where, when the answer is both, that can be, that's much harder than just being able to say, well, neither. Yeah, neither for me. I've never quite, quite gotten the body swap thing. I don't know. If that's one of your tropes that you love, could you at me somewhere and tell me exactly what you love about it? Because I know it's enduring, but it's not something that I've quite ever connected with. So I'd love to know why it works for you. I think for me, when I like body swap, it's specifically because it takes two characters who are having a fundamental conflict of understanding between them, like the kind of setup you get in Enemies to Lovers, where they are having trouble relating to each other. And in swapping, they get to see each other's lives and they get to see 
what the other person goes through and their perspective on life and the expectations that are on them. And they come to uh, an understanding that allows them to move into deeper feelings. I think that's the, okay. for me. and I've definitely seen, I've definitely seen ones like that. Uh, there's a popular uh, web comic that I believe is still updating, but it's close to the end, either that or it's recently finished um, called uh, the old switcheroo by, I want to say, tripster funder i probably said that wrong but i'll link it in the show notes um that is what comes to my mind when i think about body swapping because that's the that's the premise of that one so maybe you can try that one out and see if it works for you yeah i I think some of this could be that my like real interaction with it is the movie freaky friday with Lindsay lohan and jamie lee curtis which i don't care for so it could be that i have an aversion to it um and need to try it with characters i enjoy i don't know but it's just, yeah, it's just never ticked my button. But if, again, so at me with with reasons, if you've got a, uh, a MCU or Marvel fic that you love with Body Swap, find me. I, I'm open to it for sure. Um, I will admit to not being open to major character death, but I bless your love of it. If, you, if you're looking to wreck me things, MCD is not one of those things that I would, uh, <clears throat> I would click on. We had 14% out there loving major character death. So thank you guys I for voting. You. Thank you for, for, for sticking up um, for major character death. Unfortunately, it is now in the loser's bracket, along with Space AU, which also got kicked down. And this weekend, if you're listening to this Ooh. live this weekend, uh, we are in the middle of... Uh, this next round of trope off so um i hope you will come out and vote especially because this is a tight one so far and okay. uh i think that i think this might be one that people uh find a little more they're similar more similar so it's going to be less divisive but that makes it harder for some people to vote um so we've got clothes sharing which you know is one of my favorites that's a, a ferret classic and it is up against found family which is a flame <gasps> favorite. It is. This is like a, an unintentional flare it off. Yeah. So they're both popular. Although we both do love, we both do love the other one. So yes, it's not at a, not an exclusive. Um, but I think I've inadvertently revealed which one I think you're going to vote for <laughs> or have already voted for, but we'll, we'll save the reveal for next weekend. Um, yeah. Honestly, if you've read my fix, you know what one I'm going to vote for. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't a surprise. But I also think that this is a great one for combining. Oh my and gosh. I think that, you know, it's almost infinite, the things that you could do with that. I feel like, I feel like they're also popularly combined, like, especially the clothes sharing being a little bit more specific. I feel like I've read a lot of fics that are, that if they have clothes sharing, they tend to also have a quality of found family. And I feel like Fundamentally, that might be because to get to a point where you're comfortable wearing someone else's clothes casually is if you're not in a relationship already is often because there's a a close knit, comfortable, familial feeling amongst the group of people who live together or live in each other's pockets. And so that, you know, getting to getting to hit those um, more romantic feelings of, you know, oh, I I like the look of that person in my clothes or, wanting someone else to smell like you, stuff like that, I think can often be grown out of that seed of, of the comfort of found family. For sure. I think Tony wearing Bucky and Steve's hoodies is my favorite Stuccone 
like not even a trope just like a button it's like one of my favorite stagoni things yeah oh i was lucky enough to get a commission from earth and star and this remains i believe my most popular post on tumblr of all time because she let me post it instead of posting it and linking it to me um so i didn't make it but it's my it's my top post uh of um steve and tony's hoodie and he's on he, he's texting with Tony um, and uh, it's it's Tony's merchandise. It's Steve's hoodie, but it says Stark Industries on it. And uh, yeah, I still, I'm, I'm so happy I, I got that commission and I, I love that piece so much. Kind of sums mm. up, sums up how I feel. I like it when they, I like, I like it when they put their name on each other, their clothes on each other. I like them marking each other up. So I'm into that. But I want to know what you guys are into. So if you haven't voted already and you're listening to this on Sunday the 14th live, then go, go, go. Get your votes in because you've got a little bit of time left. It's going to expire. Usually expires Monday morning EST because I start it Saturday morning. So you've got some time. Go vote. Make sure you vote every weekend. And next time we talk, which will be episode one of season two. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my gracious. <laughs> we will update on what happened with this one, what's gonna happen next week, and then cue you up for what's happened the weekend after that. So hopefully we'll see you there. Hi fandom, this is Only More Love, and I'm here to let you know that your forecast is back. This is where I will tell you all about what goes on challenge-wise in a Marvel fandom near you. So buckle up and let's go. The usual note before I start with the current events. You'll be able to find everything I mention in this forecast, linked and explained, in the show notes for each episode over on podonthesuit.com. On to the fun stuff. We mentioned it at the end of last year, and now it has arrived. The coloring books for Coloring for a Marvelous Cause have arrived and you can pre-order them at the event shop linked on their blog. The Cap I Am Bingo has opened for a new round. Go, request a card. The round lasts until July 31st, so that's plenty of time to have fun with your card. And here's a reminder that the Shrunky Clunks Big Bang is open for author signups until February 27th. For artists wanting to claim... The deadline is April 17th, and the mods have been posting story prompts on their blog. So if that sounds like something you'd like to participate in, but are in need of inspiration, please take a look, and either way, don't forget to sign up. Also, signups for writers, artists, and betas for The Stucky Big Bang are currently open, and will remain so until February 26th. For more details and rules, please browse their Tumblr page. The Loki Rare Pear Bang, a mixed bang with claims of both fic and art, is also still open for signups, and will remain so until April 1st. This event is open to any Loki ships other than Frost Iron, Loki slash Tony, or Thorky, Thor slash Loki. This is the perfect occasion to create for Frost Shield, Steve slash Loki, to your heart's content. The minimum word count for fix is set at 5k and one art piece for artists. 
please check out their blog for the full schedule and rules. The Starker Festival's mods on Tumblr will also be running two events during February. Both are based around prompts that are already available on their blogs. One will take place during the week of Valentine's Day, while the other will span the entire month. So we have the Valentine's Day chocolate box event, which starts today with seven prompts, one for each day of Valentine's week, focusing on love and fluff. And there's also the Darker Starker Festivals, with four prompts per week of February, this time catering to the darker themes the ship can fit. Neither event has anything in the way of minimum requirements, but Darker Starker is strictly 18+, plus due to the nature of the prompts. Go check out the blog for the prompts and have fun! Claims for the Black Characters Matter Prompt Fest have opened and will be waiting for you until April 2nd, with a minimum requirement of 500 words for fic, and they also welcome a wide variety of mediums. All ships, themes, and or kinks are allowed, as long as they focus on at least one Black Marvel character. They also have a Discord server you can join. The mods of the Bucky Barnes Bingo have launched a flash that will last until the end of February, with master posts expected by March 5th. The cards are on their blog, so go pick your fave and have some fun! Today is the last day to sign up for the Spider-Man Bingo. The round will officially start for posting on March 1st and end on September 30th. Don't miss out! The Sam Wilson Fest has announced its dates. From March 1st to March 12th, leave your best Sam prompts, which will be made available for claiming, from March 13th to April 23rd, and posted between April 24th and May 2nd. There are no minimums, and all mediums are allowed for both Shippy or Gen works. Enjoy! Signups and fills for the following are also still ongoing. Marvel Fluff Bingo Marvel Holiday Fest, Cap IM Com Remix Events and Bingo, STB Steve Tony Bucky Bingo, as well as the Lights on Park Avenue monthly prompts. That's it for this episode, friends. This has been your events forecast. I'll see you next episode. Until then, be well and happy shipping! And that's a wrap on episode 24 and on season one of Pot on the Suit. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sticking with us through this first year. We have had a great time. We hope you have had one too. We have a ton of amazing stuff planned for season two, but we also want to hear from you. If you have a topic you want to talk about on our pod, shoot us an email or DM and let us know. Happy Valentine's Day, and we will see you guys in two weeks for episode one of season two. You've been listening to Pod on the Suit. Thanks for joining us. 